a very warm welcome to all you iridescent bulbs of beauty and potential that are waving around in the ether. Welcome to the quest. And today I have a very interesting topic for you guys. And it's all about love and understanding love. First of all, I would like to apologize for my slightly raspy and congested voice. I've been on the road for the last two weeks performing with all my fiery things. And this is my body saying, it's time to slow down and rest for a couple of days. So hopefully it doesn't bother any of you too much. So today we'll be talking about the types of love and how I, I conceptualize them. A couple of amazing definitions of love that have stuck with me throughout my life. And we'll also be talking about relationships in brief and a good way to conceptualize them and integrate them into your life and some useful knowledge or bites of wisdom that may aid you in your quest in experiencing love and inviting another to experience your love and you bringing their love out in them even more so than they could have ever conceived possible. So let's get into it. So types of love. Love is a curious one. Lots of people want to know about it because it seems to be a main driver in our life. It seems that we are born with love. And it seems that a goal in life is to experience more love or to crack into deeper elements of that experience. And in my mind, love has three forms. It has an unconditional form which is cosmic at a soul level. It encapsulates everything and anyone. It comes directly from the source. And you can feel unconditional love for every human being, no matter who they are, what they've done. You can feel unconditional love for inanimate objects, for animals, for trees, for life, for a feeling, for absolutely anything, for existence in itself. And looking from above, from a soul perspective or, a, you know, rising above your human form, you can see that everything is interconnected and it's very connected to this idea of one consciousness where everything is not separate, it is unconditionally one. So to love yourself is to love everything and to love everything is to love yourself because there's no segregation, there is no difference. So this is something that is coined unconditional. The next I would coin is human-centric. It's more of a romantic, heart-centric love. And there requires a couple of constraints. And that is for there to be an object, an object of your love. And for there to be a source of where the love comes from. So a subject. So I'm experiencing love for another. Me being the subject that is experiencing, the other being the object that is the object of my love. So there has to be a clear self, me, and other. And this is genuinely how we walk through life seeing love 
in its romantic, heart-centric sense. For most, and this is still a very high level of love, you know, it's when you feel your heart go boom, boom, when you are with someone and you're with your partner, when you're with a romantic compadre, uh, this is the feeling of a heart-centric, human-centric love, you know. The ego is involved because it's a perception of what you are. There needs to be an object, there needs to be a subject. And there is a boundary between you and them, which makes it, I guess, not unconditional, because you can still rise above and see the unconditionality within the love. But there are stipulations and considerations within your level of boundary that form that feeling of heart-centric, egoic love or romantic love. And there needs to be a right concoction and a right chemical formula of traits of physicality, of chemical connection, of microbiome, of pheromone, of all the great things logistically, practically, and a feeling and a sense of two becoming one. And whether that two becoming one originates from you as an internal experience feeling a great level of oneness that the other person being in the container is allowing you to experience, or whether they're genuinely being two halves that come together and become a whole. Hard to know, and many different philosophers, philosophies, and teachings, and way of, ways of living have ex tried to explain this in many different ways and forms. It doesn't seem to be a consistency across the board when it comes to romantic love. Unconditional love, almost all texts and versions of philosophers that I've read and all the texts and readings and conversations and you know, connecting with my intuition has told me that unconditional love is very consistent across the board. But the romantic human-centric love, the un understanding and the idea of it is illusory. It eludes intellect, which maybe it should, like most things do. So, the next version of love I will spell out is more of a mind-centric, and this is much more heavily induced by egocentricness. So, this is genuinely love which is sprouted from the mind and not from the heart. It's more in connection with infatuation. It's more trauma or wound-driven. It's more fear-based. So if somebody has a wound that has been created in the past, sometimes what they can do is supplement it for someone who represents an aspect of that wound and they can fill that aspect of that gaping hole with the person or the reference of a type of person which 
could have manufactured or created that wound in the past. So, somebody who has a gaping hole in their heart or in their emotional system could search for somebody to plug that wound. And normally that plug is somebody which has the constituents which or the traits which created that wound in the first place. It may not be the same person, but maybe the person has the same characteristics. So if you felt heavily, heavily, or you were abandoned by your father and you were treated very poorly, right? You may search for someone who has the same traits as your father to fill the gap in hope that they will be able to rectify or so that you can feel the pain and feel the feeling while having the person there, which is a twisted form of love in a sense of the trauma loop being rotated through a scenario of trying to generate love. It can be tricky to fully grasp the idea, but in simple, in a simple essence, somebody has a wound, it's being plugged by another who matches the similar characteristics of somebody who created the wound in the first place, or a scenario that created the wound in the first place. Often the mind-centric and egocentric style of love is, can also manifest in relation to if it's tick societal boxes. So if this person looks a certain way, acts a certain way, presents to the public in a certain way, and fits the model that I have created with my mind. So this person fits the mind image of what or the person I would love to experience a idea of love with. It's not from the heart, it arises from the mind. It rises from deep within the ego of who I perceive myself to be and what my perceived partner will look like or be like or present like and then how we as a container present to others. So it's much more mind-driven trying to please something externally, not internally driven. So these are the three types of love. And I guess the last one, the mind-centric, is more of an infatuation, but I still include it within the trio of loves because it's important and a lot of people fall into this trap of mind-centric love. Radio, let us go into some definitions that I found have been extremely useful. Um... So, this is actually a definition that I heard many years ago, and uh, it's a definition by Paul Cech. So, if you're not familiar with Paul Cech, he's a holistic health practitioner, a very wise man that uh, I have learnt a little bit under in the past years. And he dictates love as being, love is the flow of energy and information through empathetic 
and compassionate connection to self or other. Let me repeat that again. Love is the flow of energy and information through empathic and compassionate connection to self or other. Empathic means I feel. Compassionate means I understand. So there is love is flowing in the form of energy and information through em- empathic, which means I feel, so the things that you're feeling, and through a level of compassion, I understand. And this connects to either yourself or to another. So I'm feeling, I understand, in connect to yourself or to another. And there is a flow of energy and information which sends this feeling of I feel and I understand. So a good example, you know, like a good definition and very scientific, this version and from a from a scientific standpoint i look at it and i'm like yeah this is interesting i can see how this moves and another that i that i've also heard from many various sources and different iterations of this is love is consciousness becoming aware of itself this to me rings and feels very true in a container where you fall in love or you rise in love it seems to be if you tune in deeply that it is actually you becoming a more aware of consciousness and you're becoming more aware of the unconditionality and the deep interwoven weaves of love that are always within you and the container that you create allows you to reflect and see that within each other. Say you're with a partner and you experience love, you realize it's coming from inside. It's your consciousness becoming aware of itself, realizing that it is love, that it is unconditional. And the person may be able to show you parts of yourself that you have not been able to see. They're like a mirror. They reflect. Or they help you and support you to move into parts of yourself you have not yet seen, which allow you to become more whole, which then allow you to see more of yourself and realize that you are love, you are unconditional, that you are consciousness becoming aware of itself. Another beautiful idea, and one that, as I said, rings somewhat true for me when I experience love. It seems to be an experience that originates from within. A lot of yogis talk about this. Love is something that you experience. It doesn't come from any external source. It only comes from within. You control whether you experience love, whether you look at an animal, a tree, your dog, your cat, your mum, your dad, your partner, and whether you can experience love for the lenses that you have on, the shades that you are wearing, 
can you see love? Can you feel love because you're only looking at yourself? Hmm. Interesting stuff, hey? <laughs> and a beautiful one, I remember Socrates saying this, or writing this, he never spoke to me, because he passed many, many generations ago. <laughs> so love is the consciousness of a need for a good, not yet acquired or possessed. Let me repeat that again. So Socrates iterated that love is the consciousness of a need for a good not yet acquired or possessed. So this is in the assumption that you do not have something. So it's an aware, a state of awareness which realizes there's a need for something you have not yet acquired or possessed. And he refers to it as a good that you have not yet acquired or possessed. Now, this is interesting to me because in my idea of spirituality and love, you have all that you have ever needed within. You possess it all. Right? So everything comes from inside, it, within. It's an experience internally. Maybe it's something you have not yet remembered. And maybe he refers to as something you do not possess or have acquired is something that you have not worked on or seen yet for yourself that is lurking or hiding within the internal journey of you unfolding and uncovering parts of yourself. So, Socrates, another beautiful way of looking at it, but it really does revolve around an egocentric, mind-centric version of there's something you're missing if I read it wrong. A lot of these these old texts can also be mistranslated as well. So it's an, it's an interesting way of looking at it for sure. Plato suggested that each of us being the matching half to a whole. Once again, he believed that we were all born with love. So every human was born into being with love, right? And it calls back the halves of our original nature together. So it tries to make one out of two and heal the wound of human nature. So this is more of an assumption around the romantic side of love, that you are born with a half and there's a calling to find the reciprocal or the matching other half that makes you into a whole. Very romantic, very romanticized. Plato and Socrates, you know, to say their intellect or their ability to commune with intuition was anything but dull is to be extremely foolish. This kind of, you know, conflicts slightly with 
a lot of Eastern philosophy. Assuming that everything comes from within. And this definitely touches the more of the romantic side of life, which is, you know, can be seen much more in ancient Greece. The romanticized version of two halves becoming a whole. And from my own personal experience, there is an element of this feeling where two become one or the experience of two together insinuate or create a feeling of oneness or one consciousness or love or a wholeness. It's undeniable that there is that feeling. And that feeling can open you up to becoming lost, lost within yourself, losing yourself. And a lot of people find they lose themselves within relationships. For this very reason, they feel like they're not whole without the other. Whether that's a healthy way of looking at it, in my eyes, probably not. I feel like you are always whole. You need to remember that love comes from within. It's beautiful and romantic to think that two halves come together to become a whole. I think that another can reflect and shine a mirror on the parts of you that are missing that allow you to become a whole. But everything in life is uncertain. You know, we live in uncertainty, minute to minute, day to day, week to week. We don't know whether the cosmos will decide to stop ticking. You know, we wake up and it's a blessing. Every hour that passes is a blessing. It really is. You know, and to hold on to a partner or a person with the feeling that you aren't whole without them because they are your matching half and nobody can ever match that similar half again. Or you will be halfless without them for the rest of your existing days. Does not feel right. If anything, they, if it's a healthy relationship, they will teach you and show you how to facilitate that within yourself. They won't even teach and show you like a mentor you will both create a container where you can show and learn and grow from that experience together. So, let me finish with this beautiful quote. Let me finish the definitions with this beautiful quote because after all these years of exploring philosophy and spirituality and mindfulness and going deep within myself through the shadow and the dark and the light and all these practices that I've sought out with masters and teachers and all sorts of interesting and questionable things that I've done. (laughs) Carl Jung really puts it in a beautiful way. And he says, I have again been faced with the mystery of love and have never been able to explain what it is. So on the merry-go-round that I've taken you on, Carl says it the best. As much as we think we'd like to know, we don't. As much, it's as much of a mystery as any. We can create ideas and stories of what it may be to help protect us, you know, to make us feel safe and secure. 
But in the end, it's a great mystery. And good chance is you'll never be able to explain it. Hmm. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed those definitions. So, the next thing I want to get into is around relationships. You know, some theory around relationships that I, on my personal journey, have experienced with partners and my partner. And, you know, I was speaking to a very close friend the other day and he introduced me to this beautiful analogy. It's a big shout out to my best friend, Andrew Miok. Um, he's a sexual and dating coach and lifestyle coach as well. Sexual quantum leap. Amazing work. So he spoke to me about the concept of wobbling. So you often see couples that are single. Well, sorry, individuals that are single that are wobbly. They haven't found their set, their center, their truth. They're not grounded and they're wobbling on their own internal axis. They'll find someone normally which matches a wobble. So they're also wobbling. So two people come together that are really wobbly. And for a moment, the wobbles will stop because they're leaning on each other. And in the first months, they're on their best behavior until all the cracks start to show. And once these cracks start showing, they start wobbling together. And it's times to the wobble now because they're touching each other and they're both having their individual wobbles, which exacerbates the whole scenario of this wobble. And because they came into the relationship being wobbly, they don't have the skills, the attributes, the know-how to quell their own individual wobble, let alone quell and support another's wobble. So these relationships genuinely, generally end up going down the gurgler. They don't end up working. They're too fractured. They're not stable. They don't have longevity or they end up spiraling into a deep trauma loop. Now there's the other scenario where if you're wobble free, you're in your truth, you're grounded, you're aligned, you know where your truth and center is and you meet another on the same vibrational match. So vibrational match is important. Normally the vibration or the place that, you, that you're in and you're putting out is something you will attract. So you're wobble free, you're in your truth, you meet another. That's also the same. You get together. You're touching. Of course there will be wobbles but because you know how to quell stabilize and support and find center you can both find your center within the container you've created and assist and help the other to find their center quickly you're never going to be wobble free in a relationship it's always going to be some turbulence but the work prior is very important to find a place where you can be wobble-free and maintain a wobble-free existence together. Very wise words and a very wise analogy. It's something that 
has and will stuck with me for a long time. So relationships in my eyes is about creating a container to expand, grow and learn. You expand and grow and learn through love. You wake up choosing to be with that person every day. It's your choice. You decide. And it's a gift every day. It's important to keep your individual truth and sovereignty. You don't want to lose yourself in a relationship. You don't want to become codependent. No, you want the internal experience of your truth and love to originate from you. You want to make all the choices of your life. Of course, there's going to be deep negotiation and compromise, which leads to deeper commitment to exploring more love, expanding and growing and learning through and with each other. You know, you need to do the work together. Negotiation is so key, even on the small things. You know, compromising on how much space to have, how much time to spend with each other, you know, how you feel in social settings, who does the chores, who doesn't do the chores, you know, how much time and bedtimes and wake-up times and how people like to be themselves and mitigating the two together, like logistically, practically, where you are, where you travel, how you travel, all these things, you know, like who cooks, who cleans, who, how you help and support each other, all these things are compromises and negotiations, how you interrelate with others, with other sexes, with, you know, affection, with parties, with everything, all these things mixed together, you know, Negotiation and compromise only leads to deeper commitment, listening, awareness, communication. They're all essential to negotiating and compromising. And if you are wobble-free when you met, you probably have the skills and attributes to be able to negotiate and compromise well, which then leads to deeper commitment, deeper meaning, a deeper level of fulfillment, and all the beauty in between. It's also extremely important to know your deep intrinsic boundaries and to communicate them. What's a hard yes and no for you? You know, and it's intrinsic. It's not externally based. It's from deep within. This does not sit well with me. So if a partner cheats on me, I will not be with her. If a partner does not look after themselves, like... And, and that is their ethos. It's, I will not look after myself. It's a no for me in terms of health. You know, like, everybody has their intrinsic boundaries. And communicating these and having the courage to be vulnerable, to communicate these boundaries without being afraid or moving through fear that you may lose the person when you communicate these boundaries and also ensuring and sitting with yourself to make sure that these boundaries are your deep truth. They're not being sprouted from insecurity. Oh no, you can't talk to anyone else when we're out. Like that's an insecurity. That's not your deep truth. So making sure that your boundaries are communicated. You're courageous to sit with yourself, to figure them out, to honor your partner, their truth, to negotiate, to compromise. It leads to deeper commitment. 
It leads you to being able to experience and expand and grow and learn through more love. So I hope you found some of this useful. I know that love and relationships are an enormous journey on the human journey. (laughs) So the human journey is full of all sorts of wondrous things and love being at the forefront. So hopefully you guys take some little bits of wisdom out of this very short version of me explaining love and relationships and be sure to keep an eye out for a whole bunch of beautiful events that are sprouting out that I'm going to be a part of and curating in relation to holistic health retreats later this year. Some insanely beautiful parties uh, that I have a very high consciousness of an incredible collective. Uh, a great meeting of souls is what I like to call it. But with that, with much love, chi and grandeur in terms of your life, I will sign off now and goodbye and send you guys all so much love. Ciao.